Well, I think it's fine building jumbo planes or taking a ride on a cosmic train. Switch on the summer from a slot machine. Yes, you can get what you want. You can get anything. I know we've come a long way. We're changing from day to day. But tell me, where do the children play? Sings Cat Stevens from his album, Tea for the Tillerman. We're here at Solution to Violence, along with our guest today, Veronica Politsavish, are also asking the same question. Where do the children play? Welcome, friends. We are Forward Video, WFMP, LP, 106.5 FM. You are listening to Solutions to Balance, a program sponsored by Forward Radio. I'm Jump Johnson. My co-host is Jamie McMillan, and our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. The following is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of our guests and not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you may contact us by sending us an email to solutiontobalance18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our guest with us this hour is Director of Educational Programs for Pache Mbine, Veronica Delikere. Some of you will remember Pache Mbine from our past interview in January 2021 with Nina Kovetz. Pache Mbine is a nonprofit organization fostering nonviolent change for a just and peaceful world through education, resources, and action. Veronica Pelikere is Nonviolent Training and Education Coordinator of Pache Ebene. She authored the book, Engage, and co-authored with Nina, the book Engaging Nonviolence, Activating Nonviolent Change in Our Lives and Our World. Veronica has led Pache Ebene nonviolence workshops in Colombia, Peru, Venezuela, Argentina, Haiti, Australia, Britain, and the Netherlands. A Zen Buddhist, Veronica is, is conversant in six languages. She lives in Montreal, Canada, been with Pache Benet for 22 years, taught courses in two states in the United States. She grew up in Argentina and has a degree in psychology. Welcome, Veronica Benetje, Solutions to Violence. We are delighted to have you join us and want to know all about your work with Pache Benet. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, yeah, I'm very happy to be here. And I hope that this interview will help people to get more interested in nonviolence and how nonviolence really can make a difference to the future of the world, our children, and our planet. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we shared a little to our listeners a bit about your professional life and, and accomplishments, but growing up in Argentina sounds uh, intriguing. What do, you, what do you remember about that experience? What do you miss and, and what may have contributed to your life and work? Okay, so growing up in Argentina, I, I was really, I was born in Rome. I was born in Italy of Croatian parents who emigrated to Argentina. So my basic bringing up was in a way for our times a little bit old-fashioned for which I'm very grateful today actually <laughs> I grew up without television and uh, you know like in a very natural kind of environment with lots of nature and a lot of things like playing hockey riding horseback and and I'm very very kind of like a life that nurtured my love of the, the, the environment. So that was one thing. But then when I was around 20, Argentina went through this horrible period that we call the Dirty War. 
And a lot of people disappeared, were tortured, killed. You know, it's a history most of us know. And I was kind of like close, very close to being disappeared, kill, killed or, or something else. So I left then for Brazil and lived in Brazil for three years. So it has marked me very much, I think, the fact that I grew in a country that went through those years of intense violence from, the most intense was from 1972 to 1976, I would say. But also Croatia, where my, my fundamental roots are, Croatia is a country that went through a lot of suffering through many, many periods of its history, the latest being, you know, the Balkan War from 1992 to 1996. So my, my interest in nonviolence is fueled by two things. One, by my roots and by my experiences in Argentina, and two, because I'm also very interested in Buddhism as a, as a path of my own spirituality. And so it's a way of grounding my spiritual interests and my spiritual dedication. So I would like to kind of like, I would like to say that there are these two branches, you know, nonviolence for me is not theoretical, though we say we teach strategic and principled nonviolence. It's not theoretical. It is very much rooted in the understanding of that famous phrase, which they say is Gandhi, but he never said it quite like that, but I'm sure he intended it. That phrase is, be the change you want to see in the world. So I, I understand very deeply that if we want the world to change, we ourselves have to change. What, what brought you to your professional path with uh, Pache Benet? It was very, very interesting. When I came to Canada, I've been in Canada for 30 years, 31 years now, actually. And when I came to Canada, um, before I could get my residency and then my citizenship, I was a physical therapist. And so I discovered that there was some kind of healing healing capacity that flowed through me. So people that I was doing physical therapy with or on, you could say, was starting to heal. And so a person who went through a big healing at that time was working in a Cree community in northern Manitoba. And so they were looking for a medicine woman. And so she says, well, you know, like I know this woman being yours truly. And so I went and I worked in a Cree community for a year, almost a year in, in a women's shelter up there in northern Manitoba. And the violence that I saw there, cultural, structural, direct, the three kind of aspects of violence was so moving, so incredibly transforming because I never suspected that that was going on in Canada. And I fell in love with the people up there. And so I said to myself at some point, not even as a conscious thing, really, but as a, as a profound heart wish, I, I want to give my life to nonviolence and to understanding how one can change a culture that can produce so much suffering. So I came back. I'm telling you the full story here. I came back uh, to, to Quebec and I had a very, very good friend who still is my friend, who was the director of the Franciscans in Quebec. And I said, you know, I want to give my life to nonviolence, to understanding nonviolence. And so he says, well, there's a group in, in San Francisco, in California, somewhere there, and they have a book from violence to wholeness. I'm sure you can contact them and, um, and see what happens. So I did. I contacted 
Ken Buttigan and I said, you know, I would like to translate your book into French. And Ken Buttigan obviously was very surprised. I didn't do it myself. My French wasn't that good at the time, but I got a, a, a team together and we translated From Violence to Wholeness, Ken's book, actually, into French. And he was so surprised. I mean, like somebody went and did this on their own that he said, oh, come to meet us. We'll pay you the, the, the plane ticket and come and meet us. So I said, great, great, great idea. I will. And so... When I got there, it was like instant recognition. I have no other words to describe it. And they said, would you like to work with us? I said, sure. And that's how I got into Pachabene. Well, you mentioned Ken. Uh, you have written two books. Uh, the latest is co-authored with Nina, COVID, who we mentioned earlier. How, do you, how did you and, and Nina come to be co-authors in this, in this new I like to tell that story. So... Nina has two masters in conflict studies and, and nonviolence. And so she contacted me and said, Can I, I would like to get training into engage, you know, exploring nonviolent living. I said, sure. So online, because she lived at the time in Holland, she's Dutch. And so we did it online and I guided her through engage exploring nonviolent living. And so when we finished doing that, she said to me, Veronica, you know what? This book is dated. I mean, we had done it in 2005 and I'm talking about 2000 and maybe 11 talk. This book is dated. I would like to do an update with you um, for the book. I said, sure. And so I consulted with Pache Bene. It was a lot of back and forth. But then finally, we started working together. And then we realized that we actually were not updating Engage, that we were writing a new book, using some of the material of Engage, for sure. But And it was an extraordinary collaboration. I mean, for two years, we weren't in a hurry. We really wanted to go slow and do a good job. And so for two years, we just did this. We worked together once a week back and forth and, and and we got to know each other and we got to really kind of have a lot of affection for each other. I still do. And Nina, in when we started, just a little anecdote here, when we started working, Nina, who is about 35 at the time, maybe younger, said, you know, I really would like to, to find my life partner and start a family. And so when she said, and by the end of the book, she had found her life partner, moved to Greece because he's Greek to test Thessaloniki. And yeah, and now she's starting a family. So yeah, life, eh? isn't it fantastic life? I just love being part of it. So that's the story. Yeah, fascinating. So Veronica, the book you wrote, Engaging Nonviolence, Activating Nonviolent Change in Our Lives and Our World. It's a fairly comprehensive book. So you stated in the introduction, skills for personal and social change needed to be addressed. What are some of the personal skills? What are some of the, the social change skills? Why do we need to address those skills? Well, it, the, the, the need to address those skills is so clear, right? Well, let's start there. We live in an incredibly complex very violent society. You know, some people have $200 billion and other people like in Yemen live in a hole in the ground. So, you know, as I said before, there, need, there needs to be more equality. There needs to be more recognition of diversity. There needs to be less racism, less homophobia. You know, we have to be kinder to one another and we have to kind of open our eyes to 
how greedy some of us on earth are and disregard the suffering of people in other parts of the world because of our greed. So that's one of the first things I would like to point out that I don't know the exact percentage and please forgive me if I misquoted, but I don't think I'll be very off if I say that, you know, 20% of the people on the planet use 80% of the resources. And so all those things hit at the heart of all of our problems, you know, like the fact of our indifference, you know, it's like Martin Luther King said, it's, it's the indifference of the good that hurts the most. So those, this is one of the social problems that needs to be addressed. And actually, you know, most of, of our problems are due to ignorance, as conditioning. We were brought up in a certain way and we continue to act in a certain way without questioning our actions. So the need for skills is to open people's eyes to the reality, first of all, of the violence and suffering in the world. And secondly, of what are the possibilities to change that suffering and to kind of like safeguard the future for our children. So it's really like ignorance is the main problem. Ignorance. So education and is of the essence here. Have I answered your question? Have I left? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, e education, we're dealing with that issue here in Louisville, Kentucky, and cities, cities all over the country, really, because conservatives want to change the way history is taught. They want to leave out African-American history. They want to leave out history that concerns uh, the LBGQ community. They wanted to whitewash that history. So that's a big controversy that is now occurring here in Louisville, as well as other cities. So how that plays out is, is going to have a great impact, as you pointed out, on how people resolve problems nonviolently. So I think that, you know, we start with individual. It's the individual here that will change the environment. It's the individual that will change society. It's the awakening of enough individual, the hundredth monkey theory, that will produce the change, that will produce the cultural shift that we so need, you know, in order to save ourselves and the future, you know, like education in terms of climate change, education in terms of how to create the beloved community that fundamentally we all dream because we are not separate, you know. So what's happening in Yemen does affect only in terms, if nothing else, in the droughts in, in some part of the world and the fires and stuff like that will eventually be our droughts, our fires, like clear so i so again the the personal skills is like fundamentally an issue of consciousness and awareness you know of deciding to wake up in all spiritual traditions they speak about waking up right about the evolution of consciousness and the and you know and quantum physics shows quite clearly now that we are not separate, that we are, that we are, I, I don't want to miss it, make this a mystical statement, but that we are interconnected, that we are inter-are, that it's unavoidable. The Martin Luther King used the word a network of mutuality. Engaging nonviolence is designed to, to build a person's capacity to use nonviolence. Your book describes structural and cultural violence. Tell us about violence that is cultural and structural. Well, you see, there are three, this, this was also kind of part of what Gene Sharp taught us. There are three, not only Gene Sharp, but many other people. There are three kinds of violences. Direct violence, which is like, I hit you, that would be direct violence, evident, visible, etc. 
And then there is the structural violence. The structural violence talks about the violence that is part of the structure of culture, of society, the same as cultural violence. But structural violence would be things like homophobia, like racism. And cultural violence would be, for example, thinking, normalizing the violence in video games and thinking it's okay for children to be exposed to porno and things like that. You know, these are the, the basic things. I'm waking up to the reality that what seems to us invisible has even a bigger impact than the visible. Yeah, I can imagine that. Some people are asking now, why is it important to know about uh, and able to identify cultural and structural violence? Because we are, we are not aware of it. We don't recognize, we're beginning to recognize it through the Me Too movement and, to, and through, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and so many other movements that are springing up right now. They're teaching us to see the cultural and the structural violence. But unless we name it, unless we recognize it, unless we acknowledge our participation in it, it won't change. It will stay the same. There are resources offered as a part of engaging nonviolence, options like organizing and engaging nonviolence study groups, facilitator guidelines, mindfulness training, and daily spiritual practices to cultivate nonviolence. So this is not only training sessions for participants, but a guide for facilitators to do other things or additional things. How do you encourage and enlist facilitators? Okay, so for me, they're not two separate things. They are the same thing. When you put out a book like Engaging Nonviolence, what you are doing is what I mentioned before, is trying to bring awareness and consciousness to issues, right? So once you have this awareness and consciousness about issues, something in you might want to stir and you might want to make this awakening that you have experienced available to more people. So you might create an engaging nonviolent study group like in Wilmington, like they did and things like that. And so the book is just a means. It's a tool because what we're really looking for is to mainstream nonviolence, to make nonviolence visible as an option. Nonviolent, you know, like 10 years or 12 years ago. You could talk about conflict resolution. You could talk about things like nonviolent communication. But the moment you mention nonviolence as a viable cultural possibility, people kind of looked up and said, oh, you know, this is pie in the sky kind of thing. But things have changed. You know, nonviolence is becoming more and more a household word. And so the book is part of that movement. The book is not, uh, we are not trying to proselytize here or to convince people of something. What we are trying to do with this material that we have and with, with, with people joining in and taking our courses and then doing campaign on violence and joining nonviolent cities and that kind of thing is to promote this mainstreaming of nonviolence so that people see it as an important and viable option for the future. And there are many movements like that. They might not be called nonviolence per se, but they are nonviolent movements. All right. I'm encouraged and I, I want to enlist as a facilitator. What are some of the skills that I need to, to know? What should I possess for that? Uh, well, well, you know, like part of the book, we have facilitator guidelines. These facilitator guidelines that are a part of the book 
come out of many, many, many courses I did on facilitation. First of all, my training as a psychologist. And then I trained with George Lakey. I did the Super T, the Super Training in Philadelphia with him. It's 10 days training. And I read a lot of books and Jane Bella and, and learning to listen, learning to teach. It was very important for me. And all of these things, you know, like crystallized into this 10 pages, which are kind of facilitator guidelines. So, you know, if you, it's not everybody, obviously, that can be a facilitator. It's, you have to be a good communicator. Some people are not good communicators. So they will have to do just, I don't know, like create a kind of community garden or something like that, whatever they're called to do and do it in a, in a way that promotes a nonviolent culture. But if you do have communication skills and you're interested in that and you can you, you can study the way I did, you can there's so many people that that teach facilitation skills. And but as I say, in the book itself, it's not a book about facilitation. It's a book about nonviolent skills and, and, and nonviolent training. But in the book, we have we have 10 pages of it. OK, so tell us about some of your exercises, the book of. Well, some of one of the exercises is spectrum of violence. So we give people a scenario, a, a particular scenario. One, I'll give you an example. This scenario is about a woman who writes on top of a of a of a poster that promotes, not very obviously, but that promotes a, a macho culture. She writes, "This insults women." Women. So. We ask a group of people, is this violent or not violent? Like ruining a poster because you think it is insulting to women. And so you create a field of possibility for people to, without judgment or anything else, to position themselves in the side of violence or in the side of nonviolence. And so there's a lot of communication there. There's, people can change sides and things like that. So that would be an exercise. Uh, you mentioned Ken Buttigieg as uh, the executive director of Pache Bene Nonviolent Service. No, he no longer is. He was one of the founders of Pache Bene, but now the executive director for many years now, actually, has been Ryan Hall. And, and Ryan Hall is an extraordinary person. He, he's really amazing. And Ken Buttigan, he deals with other, other kind of aspects of promoting our work, but he's not anymore the executive director. Okay, he said, uh, Ken did, did say, uh, this is a quote from him, violence draws life from the endless stories that push its power, but things can work the other way too. Stories of the nonviolent option can unexpectedly seep into our right brain, disturb the certitude of the violent operating system and the open breathing space. Your response to Ken is uh, was by taking in stories of nonviolence and, and sharing with those around us, we can make use of our neoplasticity to orient ourselves toward kindness and to understand that there's a better way. Tell us about the importance of, of stories of nonviolence and, and share one of them if you would. I think stories are essential. Ken Buddigan teaches at DePaul University in Chicago, and he teaches a course on nonviolence and a course on conflict transformation. 
And he says, actually, what the students remember the most at the end of the day is the stories I told. So I think that I, I totally agree. I, I think that what stays with people is the stories, you know, like there is an oral tradition of storytelling and, and we are hungry and, uh, you know, for stories. It takes us away from the a little bit the the, the drive to be like machines and and and, and forget um, forget that there is a lineage behind us and a lineage down the road. So stories get into the brain. This is what uh, what the comment here that I made. And so we remember that most of all. That's why Jesus taught in parables clearly. So we are conditioned to think that violence is the solution, an eye for an eye. But as Gandhi said, an eye for an eye will make us all blind. And so you have to tell stories where there is kind of a different solution to the problems that we face. And you ask me for a story and I will tell you one. I have many. But this one particularly touches my heart because it's kind of from the area where where my roots are. So uh, social workers went to Kosovo after the Balkan War, and there was a lot, a lot of suffering and a lot of people in deep, deep trauma and with, you know, disorientation, and they had seen things unimaginable. So they were very, very shell-shocked. But there was this one man who was completely balanced, centered, helping everyone that he could. And so the social workers that had gone there from England to, to kind of give them techniques for coming out of trauma was, were very amazed at how serene and centered this man was who had also lived through the atrocities. So they asked him, you know, like, how can you survive this so well? And he had seen his mother and his father shot in front of his eyes and stuff like that. So when that happened, he went into the hills and deep in deep reflection. And he realized that this was the human condition, that, you know, violence was part of, of being kind of like on this earth at this time. And he asked himself one question and one question only. How can I stop? this not happening to my children. That was the question that he asked himself over and over again. How can I stop this not happening to my children? And he therefore came to understand that he had to work on himself and not continue the violence that was, you know, brewing in his heart. And so he, he came to a state of balance and understanding. And that's why he could now help others. Years later, years later, because... The, these people went back to that area and to see what was the result of their training. This man had managed to unify again the neighborhoods where Bosnians and Serbs could live together. So that's the story I want to share. Fascinating story. Veronica, our past year's experience with COVID uh, pandemic has changed a lot of us in, in, in one way or another. I expect Pache uh, Bene has... Uh, also, there not been an exception to this. One of the efforts on the program of, and personnel and the audience, what changes for the future have this pandemic, what well, the consequences of it brought to bear on Pache Bene? Well, actually, and this is a little bit uh, kind of controversial to say, but actually, thanks to the pandemic, we were able to go online. We did our conference online. And we did our conference online, which was organized to be in Albuquerque and in presence, right? 
So we quickly, quickly in March 2020 shifted to doing our conference online. We got a thousand people attending that conference, incredible speakers, Richard Rohr and many, many wonderful speakers. And then I, I'm going to say, because uh, it's the truth, then immediately also I started doing courses online. And so I did a lot of, I was doing four courses a week at one point, offering a lot of courses online and people had, you know, they were in lockdown, they were at home. So one of the things that they did was study. And so they studied with us. And so it really changed a lot our possibility to reach out to people for in a course, I would have a person from Japan and I would have a person from New Zealand. And I, you know, like it was incredible. Rivera and I were doing courses with 40, 50 people. So that wasn't possible to do, even if I traveled all over the world, you know, every month. I mean, this was incredible. It was an incredible opening. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about climate change. That's part of Pache Benet's goals and objectives. Gene Sharp had this to say in terms of what he called the climate claim. There are three nonviolent action movements that can be used in relation to climate change. A, protest and persuasion. B, non-confrontation. And C, intervention. Who is Gene Sharp and what has he, what has nonviolence to do with, with climate change? Well, everything, obviously, because the violence that we are doing to the planet in terms of its impact on our personal lives is huge, right? So nonviolence and climate change are deeply interconnected. So Gene Sharp was one of the people that first designed a, a whole curriculum and, and, and he went against the norm, actually, of proclaiming the nonviolent option in times when this was not even possible. Gene Sharp is no longer alive. And so he wrote very many important books of, of 108 actions that people can do not to go with the usual narrative of violence is what solves our problems, you know, violence as a solution, war as a solution, torture as a solution, all these things, you know, so he was very, very important in that sense. So oh, within the 108 uh, responses that you can do which are nonviolent. he names protest and persuasion so you can convince people and open people's awareness and open people's eyes through protest and persuasion because you see people protesting and you say what are they protesting against and so you become informed and and then you try to show people the impact for example uh, the the impact of putting toxins into the food that we eat and things like that we have to learn part of our learning has to be to separate the action from the person and so People are not bad in themselves. They're ignorant and their actions are reprehensible. But the person is always kind of considered as sacred in this work. So, you know, we don't attack. We show, right? So that's protest and persuasion. And then there is non-confrontation, which is, there's, there's a bit in the language there, you know, you can confront somebody with the truth. I mean, they can decide on, or not to, to get curious about it, but that could be a form of confrontation. But what I think he's talking about here when he says non-confrontation, don't go to war, you know, find better ways of resolving. And then actually the intervention the intervention can be 
you know, you change the rules of the game or something in order for the impact to be different. Like, say, for example, Cesar Chavez, you know, he wrote the letters to the, the Grape Growers Federation and he intervened directly through fasting and through organizing the workers and stuff like that. So he was intervening. We have another quote here. This one is from LaDonna Brave Bull Allard. Her Native American name is LaDonna Tamakawastewin. That means a good earth woman. She was a Native American Dakota and Lakota historian, genealogist, and matriarch of the water protector movement. And this is her quote, violence against the earth and interpersonal violence are two sides of the same coin. We now unite as a planetary community to stand together for the sacred, to midwife a transition to a world in which humanity will no longer dominate, but cooperate with all life. Though it's difficult to see, there is an emerging and different vision for humanity. This vision foresees a world without violence as the next chapter of our collective evolution. It shows a future humanity inhabiting this planet as a network of interconnected, autonomous communities of trust. You may want to comment on her words further, but how are violence against the earth and and interpersonal violence intimately related? So I think this is a a very visionary quote. I think she's bringing our attention to the fact that nothing is separate. As I said in the beginning of this interview, the essence is the individual. The essence is the human being. It is when the human being changes, when there is a revolution in the psyche of mankind, will we create a different planet and different possibilities. So she's alluding exactly to that. It's like this transformation in the individual psyche will eventually produce a different set of conditions for the planet. We will care for Gaia as our mother, to use the language of First Nations, as our mother and as intrinsic to our own well-being. If nature is in harmony and balance, we will be in harmony and balance too, because we are part of it. Okay. So, Veronica, you've made this challenge, and this is a quote. If you want to be in a community with the planet, start by listening, end quote. What does being in community with the planet mean, and what does listening have to do with it? Well, it is when we get out of our little me and me, mine and things like that, then we can begin to observe and listen to what is going on around us with greater care and kindness. So when I talk about listening, for example, I'll give you a very clear example. Rivera and I did a retreat on listening to the earth. And so when we see the cycles for, of the birds, for example, or, you know, when we see, when we look and we see kind of like how the deer function, how the, the you know, like I have a little backyard here in Montreal and I have a lot of, ouch, the word now escapes me, you know, um, uh, there are these little, they, they can bite you and it can be nasty. So there's two possibilities, you know, I can spray them with poison, say. But what I did, I didn't spray them with poison. 
I what I did is I, I put water and I created kind of like a swimming pool for them. So instead of biting me, they go and drink and swim in this little pool that I created for them. So listening means being aware, being aware of what is around you and interacting with it, not from this ball. You know, most of us human beings live in this very closed ball of what I want, what I must have, what I need what I have to get in order to be happy. You know, we live in this ball. But when we begin to dissolve that ball, you know, we begin to to be more in contact, more, as I say, listening to what is around it. A whole other dimension of living and being opens up for us. That is listening. So I see, oh, this plant needs water. Oh, this plant is too wet. I won't give it any more water, but I will give water to that plant. And therefore, I create a beautiful garden. Okay, so you're talking about listening. You ask people to start listening. Are you thinking about a particular group of people? Are you referring to people that are not listening to the scientists whose research documents drastic and destructive element change? Maybe others as well. Well, I'm talking to everybody who who wants to listen, actually, or who can listen, let's put it that way, you know, but most of all say, I would love to talk to teachers who are um, sculpting the lives of children. I would like to talk to consumers who, who think life is all about buying. I would like to talk to politicians who who lie and we normalize their lying. I would like to, talk, you know, I would like to talk to everybody. What can I tell you? You know, because there is, for me, one of the very, very hard realities for me to accept. I try not to get angry about it, but it's how we have normal lying. I mean, it's okay to lie. It's okay to say anything. And nobody will say, you know, that's not permissible. It's okay. And that is at all levels of society. So listening, yeah, a critical element here. So your purpose is certainly a righteous cause. But I wonder, are people listening? Or do we need a more specific argument here? Alexander Edwards, president of automotive research and consultant firm Strategic Vision demonstrates that even though medium and full-size pickup trucks, for example, average 10 miles per gallon less than a passenger car in the real world, these trucks struggle to break out of the very low double digits in terms of gas mileage. Also, only 35% of the truck owners actually do haul anything at all. The Ford F-150, Chevrolet Silverado, the Ram 1500, respectively, these are the top selling vehicles in America. And this data came from Brett at Burke and his article, quote, well, you don't need a full-size pickup truck. You need a cowboy's costume. And that was published in March 13, 2019 and published in the journal, The Drive News. When it comes to respecting the environment, seems like there is an awful lot of people out there who are not listening. What do we need to do to get the message to these people that their large vehicles comes with a heavy environmental footprint? How do we get them to listen? Thank you very much for that question. So I think you cannot force people to listen. You know, you can only hope that change comes usually through disaster. Unfortunately, we still as a human race have not learned to grow except through great suffering and disasters. That's that's the reality, right? So when we when we go through a second world war where 40 million people have died, we say no more war. 
But in the meantime, 40, pe 40 million people have died. And so for me, the question is, how can change not come as a result of tremendous suffering and tremendous disasters that will, will open our eyes to change? My heart feels with gladness because I say, okay, these people, and they do say, you know, wow, I never thought of that. I never saw that. I never, so maybe that person will talk to her grandchild or to her child and maybe, you know, and change is slow, unfortunately. It's slow, but every bit makes a difference because we are the world. So when we change, somehow through this network of mutuality, through, you know, through the quantum a field, change eventually does come. But you can't force change. You, you know, you, you just have to kind of be an example. Sure. You know, you mentioned the changes that came about through the pandemic for Apache Bene. We have experienced with our program, Solutions to Violence, a huge jump in the way we can, we can do those interviews. We've interviewed people internationally, which never would have happened otherwise. Soul of Nonviolence is a podcast that reflects on a different nonviolent quote each week. In it, there are short reflections based on one of the daily quotes Pache Benet sends out to help each of us live a nonviolent life. The topics include listen, as we just talked about, happiness, questions of conscience, soul of nonviolence, and so forth. Well, it's, it's me. I, you see, because for six years now, I have been choosing six or seven, I don't remember. I have been choosing a quote a day, which we post every day, this nonviolent life, it's called, and we post every day a quote. And so, so I think it was Erin, another of our, my colleagues at Pache Bene, said, Veronica, you should do a podcast once a week of one of these quotes. And that's how the podcasts were born. And so at the beginning of the month, I choose four quotes and they are posted on every Wednesday. I choose four quotes and I comment on it. And that's how that works. So, Veronica, you have led Pache Bene nonviolent workshops in Colombia. Peru, Venezuela, Argentina, Haiti, Australia, Great Britain, and the Netherlands. Uh, what are the focus of these workshops that you've conducted? Well, it's basically the curriculum engage and in engaging in those two books. It's basically that curriculum. But we, we really tried and we continue trying to make it very relevant to the times. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to teach the same thing in 2015 that I teach in 2021, or at least not in the same way, because people's realities have changed. And there are different anxieties and different pressures and different concerns in a certain way, you know. So I always try to tailor it not only to what's happening at an international or global level, but to tailor it to, to what's happening in the country at the time, say Colombia or Cuba, or, you know, I've done in many more countries than I mentioned here. But, you know, I try to internalize what is happening there and speak from that place. Obviously, it helps that I grew up in so many different cultures. You know, I've lived in England for four years. I grew up in Argentina. I studied in the States. I, I live now in Canada, you know, that kind of thing. So I, let's say that I'm a good candidate to do this kind of work. So you've witnessed lots of changes here. Can you talk about some of the changes you've seen as a result of the workshops you've conducted? Yes. Yeah, so the question is? 
Can you talk about some of the changes that you uh, some of the changes? It's basically say people will say like I will tell a story like the story that I told here, and and so people will have an insight about how they could change a relationship in their lives that is causing them suffering. No, that would be one possibility. Other people will engage at a local level with something that already exists there to contribute to, say, nonviolent practices. People will join nonviolent cities. People will, will get interested in campaign nonviolence and contribute wherever they can. People will create their own kind of like way of expressing their talents in order to contribute to a culture of nonviolence. Different things like that. I mean, it's a, a wide range. Range. Yeah, you and Rivera Sun have uh, been uh, uh, guests on Solutions of Violence, but you also you, you've held workshops called Spirit to Action. You did that in Wilmington, Delaware, you mentioned that, and also Kansas City. That was the objective that was to explore nonviolence. Are those actions something called, we understand, nonviolent cities? What is that program? No, nonviolent city is more than a program. It's that certain cities, this was started in Carbondale, and certain cities decide to name themselves nonviolent cities and to promote programs within the police, say, or within schools, or there's different, there are different approaches. Every city has their own approach or by doing these workshops to declare themselves a nonviolent city. And the point of that is a little bit related to the quote by Ken Buttigan, to create a different mindset, a different frame out of which to understand culture and understand change and understand how we can help. Nonviolent Cities is a project and it's not an idea. It's, it's really taking root. And, and of course, it needs a lot the participation of people and the willingness of people to, to engage, you know, and in a creative way. Yeah. Is it an organization? Is there uh, a way that other cities can become a part of that or they have to decide on their... No, 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 no. It's one of our projects. So you contact Pache Bene and you decide and you say, you know, my city wants to become a nonviolent city. And so from that point, we help you organize what needs to, to happen for you to contact other people who are involved in the project and to learn different tools we keep doing. Right now, Rivera and I are doing a workshop regarding how to create a nonviolent city, things like that. So let's talk about the event that's coming up soon. For goodness sakes, tell us about that musical festival. Well, we were talking about doing another conference like we did last year. You know, we did this conference attended by a thousand people. And I said, oh, but, you know, we've been sitting in front of computers for so long and let's do something different. Let's create a music festival. And so at the beginning, there was a bit of reticence. Oh, we don't know much about music and stuff like that. And then this wonderful person in Austin, Texas, who organized last year a kind of mini music festival for campaign on violence said, you know, that he would help us. So we had our music, uh, his name is Jim Crosby. And so we had our music festival coordinator and things just started moving on from there. And now we have 40 musicians. It's going to be a, a one day event. And the previous day, Rivera, uh, Henry Cervantes and I are doing a three hour workshop called Tune Up music and the movement 
And so we're going to show the relationship between music and social movements. So it's going to be a workshop on that. And I hope many people, free. I hope many people will participate as, as viewers. And it's a wonderful thing that we've got a special guest that we can only make uh, known on the 1st of uh, August. That's the person's request. But we have an important guest that is supporting us and all these wonderful musicians who have come to be part of this it's obviously the, the music festival is to promote the nonviolent culture. So that's, I think I've answered your question there. Yeah, so can you tell us about some of the performers? Oh, I'm so sorry, I cannot. Um, but, you know, the names don't just come to my mind. I'm, I'm kind of like involved in another level now with them. But you can go to our website and you can see there's a huge list in our website of all the musicians that are going to be there. There's definitely, I can talk about one of them, which is Guillermina Becca Varela. She's a friend of mine uh, from Argentina and she will present a song. And yeah, it's wonderful in Spanish. And, uh, and then there's also going to be Tom Deerhart, who's going to do some drumming. He's a First Nation person from Canada. Yeah, so I can't, the list is not like in front of me right now. So I can't answer you that question really to any sense. Where, where's the festival going to take place? Online. It's an online festival. Okay, okay. I misunderstood, yeah. Veronica, we're uh, getting close to the end of our program. We have a minute or so. You've made a live stream presentation called What is Psychosynthesis? A Vision of Wholeness. What is this? Psychosynthesis, is, I've trained in psychosynthesis, is a way to engage therapy also with the spiritual dimension. Usually therapy, therapy deals with the personality and with the unconscious and, you know, what is in the underground of our being. And so psychosynthesis looks at all of that, studies all of that, but also regards the higher dimensions of the individual and how that higher dimension, where you would find meditation, mindfulness, yeah, the spiritual practices of all kinds, rituals, that higher dimension can be instrumental in facilitating our healing. So we're about out of time, Veronica. Can you give us the website to Pache Benet so people know how to get a hold of you? Or Yes, please. Please go to our website. We have a fantastic website. I would like, just before we go a few minutes, I would like to talk about our wonderful team. So there is our uh, executive director is Ryan Hall. Uh, Rivera Sun does a lot of the work with nonviolent cities and with campaign nonviolence helped by Shina Jones. Eric Bishal, she does a lot of the office work and she helps me a lot with the podcasts and with the books, like formatting the books and like that. Ken Buttigan does a lot of outreach and a lot of he's now involved in a project to get the Vatican to to do an encyclical on nonviolence. And so I think I've mentioned everybody. And then we have a lot of like, for example, Rosie Avila. She does our beautiful poster that we did for the film festival. It's like a joy to behold that poster. So, you know, we are very few people doing a lot. I would say that that's our team. So I'm, I'm very grateful to the listeners. I hope I have said something that might help you to get more interested in our organization, which is www.pacheebene.org. I will spell that out. P-A-C-E-E-B-E-N-E.org. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, we're out of time. Our guest today has been Pache Benes, Veronica Pellicaric. Solution to Violence airs on Mondays at 5 p.m., Tuesdays at 8 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Today's program will be repeated July 20th and July 21st. The Solutions to Violence program featuring Veronica Pellicaric will be placed in our archives July 21st. To listen via our archives, visit us at Forward Radio, scroll down to Program Archives, and then scroll down to the Solutions to Violence program features Veronica Pellicaric. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our discussion with Veronica Pellicaric, you can reach us with the following email address, solutionsofviolence18 at gmail.com. I'm Jim Johnson. My co-host is Jamie McMillan, and our technical engineer is Carolyn Book Johnson. Until next time, please keep the peace in your own personal way and help others do the same. You are listening to Solution to Balance, WFMP 106.5 FM radio. Thanks for listening.